Hey, Jason, how are you doing? Good morning, Zach. Doing very well. It's been a while since we've been on air, huh? Yeah, real, real long time. Been traveling a lot lately, but uh, very thankful to have two months of no air travel, at least. So excited for that. Happy to have a home for the first time in a while. Things are good. You're like abstaining from air travel. It's not. <laughs> I would think that that might be hard for you. Yeah, well, you know, if you told me this a year ago or even maybe three, four months ago, I would agree. But after just a lot of jet lag, a lot of not having my own space, a lot of not being in one place for more than a few days or a week, I'm ready to kind of have, have some routines, have some consistency, have my own kitchen. And I'm, I'm four days into living in Berkeley, California, and enjoying every, every minute of it thus far. Berkeley is the place. That's nice. It's good to hear. Yeah, I totally get it. It's fun to travel, but it's fun to be back in a place where you can call home. Definitely. So, Zach, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about um, some new routes that were just announced and either underway already or some some new some news as far as uh, new routing and stuff. Let's. Yeah, right well, th- these these flights were were launched uh, a while back, but uh, the they're actually taking off soon. The London to Perth direct flight on Qantas. Yeah, that's gonna be the world's longest flight, right? Yep. It's like Nineteen hours or something? Eighteen hours? Yeah, let me look it up. I'm not I'm not sure, but it's pretty. I mean, that's a. If you could fly that, you could basically fly anywhere. That's literally crazy. So it's your trapped up in a tube for yeah. Hours. So it's they've taken a couple flights now. It covers a distance of nine thousand miles. Uh, actually, the longest flight has already been going uh, Doha to Auckland. Uh, this is oh, the really? second long second longest flight. Oh, but the, but they said something about this being the longest, or maybe this being the, covering the the most. Wasn't this the longest because they were going to avoid, they were going to, the route was going to go a bit, a bit roundabout to avoid uh, some Saudi airspace or something like that? Or, or, yeah, it definitely, def- I'm looking at the routing map now. It looks like it avoids Saudi airspace, but yeah, according to one mile at a time, it's the second longest flight. And I, I trust Lucky when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, Good, yeah I would second that. Absolutely. <laughs> But yeah, I just, I wonder, you know, so this is a, a very premium heavy route from London to Perth and mm-hmm. Qantas is using their 787, which is a, you know, the Qantas 787 is one of the more premium heavy uh, configured planes in the world. And I imagine, you know, there's the yield to match it, especially for, you know, I, I wonder though, for the traveler that has to go frequently between London and maybe other cities in Australia, if this is more attractive or if stopping in Dubai and then kind of going like London, Dubai, Melbourne or London, Dubai, Sydney, as opposed to, you know, London, Perth, Sydney, does, do you think this is a game changer for the people that aren't directly going to Perth? See, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very interesting point. I was thinking about it myself as well. Who's going to Perth? Not, not it's, I hear you. I, I don't know what to tell you, right? Because most people taking this route are not are not ending if they're originating in London they're not they're probably not ending up in Perth and most people are uh, that their destination is London probably did not originate in Perth so 
So basically, we're talking about people from primarily Brisbane, Melbourne, and Sydney, the three major cities in Australia, that are feeding into Perth. It's a three-hour across-the-country flight. You know, uh, oh, just three hours? The, yeah, three, four, not, not more than four, yeah. It's a... Okay. Uh, Covers the whole, you know, the whole width of Australia. It's not more than than that. So it's from the, it's taking people from the east coast of Australia, flying cross country, which is not a huge deal, and then picking up to Perth, London. I don't know. The thing is that Australians, um, they really love Qantas. They're really like, you know, an American citizen that lives in the U.S. and flies abroad. He probably prefers his, his one of his flag carriers, even one of the flagship uh, United States carriers, you know, Delta American United. But in Australia, there's, it's much more than that. They're, they're really into their country and they're really into their Qantas is like their, you know, their baby. So the fact that Qantas offers the, the route as opposed to, let's say, you know, let's say stopping in Abu Dhabi with Etihad, you know, one stop Melbourne and Abu Dhabi, London, or Melbourne Abu Dhabi elsewhere in Europe. I think they like they appreciate Qantas. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm sure nationalism was definitely part of that market analysis for this route. I'm not sure if most Americans prefer American carriers when flying abroad. Maybe I'm just uh, pretty biased because you know. I don't like them, and most people in the kind of the travel hacking community don't really like them. But probably for most Americans, they they would prefer an American carrier, at least at least the average leisure flyer in economy. Yeah, exactly. That's true. What you mentioned. However, you have to you have to understand that I'm going off topic, but go for um, it. The companies, first of all, anything government related has, is going to be any government officials, which is they travel a ton, are going to be on the on the U.S. carriers, and as well as big big U.S. companies, they'll they'll make contracts with the U.S. carriers. So anyone that's not anyone, but many people that travel for business, the, the first option is going to be to put them on a U.S. carrier. That's what I speculate a little more than speculate. I don't have hard data on this, but it's from you know just educated guess, I would say. Well, I'm talking about what people prefer. So I'm sure that, you know, like every government employee is on a, a U.S. carrier and those that work for Fortune 500 companies and other large corporations, they're pretty likely to be on U.S. carriers when flying abroad. But that doesn't mean when they then spend the points they get from those flights, they're not using it for, uh, you know, Swiss Air as opposed to United. All right. Okay. Fair enough. But, you know, it's all, all speculation. Back to the kind of the, the longer haul flights. We've talked about this guy, Wendover Productions, on the podcast before and the videos he makes about transportation and economics in general. And a lot of his, he clearly is a big aviation fan and some of his best videos are about like the economics of aviation. And one video he has, which I'll link to in the show notes, is about the hub and spoke model and how low cost carriers are able to save money by instead of going the traditional route of major carriers where they have these hubs and then to kind of go from small place to small place you go from the small place to the hub and the hub to the to the spoke the low-cost carriers are just doing spoke to spoke not having any hubs and i wonder if this kind of ultra long haul travel if we'll see an age of just direct flights everywhere especially on the premium heavy routes because london to perth you know i don't 
I'm I'm not privy to the market analysis that the people at the airlines are doing, but it would seem to me that there's a, a lot of other, you know, ultra long haul flights that would do very well where there's a lot of demand, like specifically like New York City to parts of China that isn't currently that aren't currently being served by direct flights. I'm sure there's some other routes you could think of and just wondering your thoughts on how this now capability to do ultra long haul flights uh, will change the landscape. Well, there's no question, Zach, that we're going to see a lot of more long haul flights. And we've already seen as each year goes on, we've seen things that uh, we would have never imagined a few few years back. There's flights from like, you know, you have San Francisco to Zurich, but you have San, now you have San Jose to Zurich. Like, you have Los Angeles to to London. Now you have um, for a couple of years already. You have San Diego to London. You know you have, of course, Houston and, and Dallas to to London. And then a couple of years back, Norwegian put uh, London to Austin, and British put London to Austin. And there's plenty more, you know, like routes that are coming up that would have never worked. 20, 10 years ago with a triple seven or with a 747. The only reason they're working is because we have 787 or similar style aircraft, maybe A350. The 787 makes it possible. It's a smaller aircraft. It's, um, it's designed to designed to accommodate these small these these routes that are not going to fill up a, a huge wide body. What we're seeing—that's exactly what we're seeing—and we're going to see. We're no question. We're going to see more and more of these as as time goes on. As soon as, as soon as the airlines can get their hands on the 787s, they're ordering. It takes a few years. You put in an order, and it just—it takes a few, many years to get the delivery and then to get the route. But what you already see, you know, United now is doing Houston to Sydney. It's an 18-hour flight. It's it's all it's one of the longest in the world, right? From wow. the top eight or nine, or yeah, yeah. Maybe exactly. uh, maybe some of the newer Dreamliners can do uh, New York to Australia. So so there's, <laughs> there's so I've seen it written up um, when we when they announced when either when Aquantas announced Brisbane to London or when they when they were doing something else. So I saw one of the bloggers talking about Qantas being interested in. A Sydney to Chicago, which I think can currently, I think currently the 787 could handle that. The thing was that the government, something about the U.S. government not approving a market share or, or, or a full-on co-chair agreement between American and Qantas or a full-on joint joint venture. That's that's what I meant to say. A joint venture, it's a bit regulated by the government because they don't want a monopoly. I'll, I'll just explain for a second. So you have, let's say, you have a New York to London route, but served by a handful of airlines. Now imagine two or three of those airlines would get together and basically form like a partnership specifically on that route. So let's just say Delta and United would want to would want to get over British. Okay, so they they would they would sit down. Delta United would. They we're gonna team up together to sell this route, and anything we anything we earn on this route, we're gonna split fifty fifty. 
So therefore, we're like partners in this route, and therefore we'll 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 have the upper hand over British. So if there's too much of that, the government doesn't want it because then it makes it makes competition hard. So Qantas and American were always partners in the One World Alliance, but a few years ago they became like stronger partners or more of a joint venture on the U.S. to Australia routes. And then the then the government basically made them cut back or something. So I think they weren't they weren't able to 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 announce or to do that Chicago to Sydney because of that. But I think the seventy seven could serve that route and they could and they're ready to go ahead with it if they would get an approval. But the New York is something a little bit the next step that that seven eighty seven could not yet not yet you know, handle <laughs> right not yet. But it, it's in the, it's in the it's in their minds. They would love to do it. Of course, it's not. It's not something happening today or tomorrow. A couple of years down the line, I would be. I would not be surprised. You know. Mm-hmm. How many? How many hours would that be? Twenty hours. Well, so looking at the, it, it took. It was seventeen hours and twenty minutes to go from London to Perth, and that's the second longest flight. So I guess yeah, it would be. It would be about twenty hours. Well, probably less. Probably less because L.A. to Chicago is, is like, three three and a half. But because you know you're doing it all in one flight, it's it's probably adds closer to two two and a half. Because the second longest flight, seventeen hours and twenty minutes. Longest flight's like seventeen twenty five. I don't think this would be more than nineteen hours. Right, right, right. No, I I think I think you're right. I think um, Sydney to Chicago is is an eighteen hour flight. Chicago to Sydney, which way is longer? Yeah, Chicago to Sydney would be a bit, Sydney would be a bit longer, but it shouldn't be it shouldn't be more than eighteen hours. And it's doable. They want to do it, but it's, it's government. It's government regulated. Every, everything, um, aviation is very government regulated. They want to limit competition somewhat to make it fair for everyone. Yeah. Also, in terms of you know governments and, and regulations, another also part of this uh, piece that I was looking up to find the the flight time from London to Perth on uh, one mile at a time is the fact that Air India is now doing a direct flight to Tel Aviv and going over Saudi airspace, which is a first. How significant do you think this is for, uh, you know, air travel, air travel in the Middle East? Right, that's, that's very interesting. They, um, they announced that a few months ago, and then the first flight, I believe the first flight was last week. It was, it was just... Yeah, uh, pretty recently. The idea there is um, it's very interesting, and... and there's some things we know and there's something that we can speculate. But the idea is that Israel, of course, is in a, in a struggle with most of its or many of its Arab neighbors. So Saudi Arabia, of course, does not recognize Israel and they will not allow Israeli aircraft to fly over their airspace. Besides for not allowing Israeli aircraft to take it a step further and they say that any flight to or from Tel Aviv or anywhere in Israel cannot pass over their airspace. Even if it's a, even if it be a Chinese airline or whatever, whatnot, it would not be allowed to be going over their airspace. So, first time in history, or in recent history, India, or Delhi, in this case would would be, a, let's say, a five-hour direct flight to Israel, if they were to go over Saudi Arabia, but. Till now, El Lal served uh, Tel Aviv to Mumbai, 
it's a similar distance, and they were, and it would have been five or six hours if they were going direct. But since they, they cannot go over Saudi Arabia, they have to go really very out of the way, like a couple hours out of the way. If you if you're looking at the map, they basically dip down south under the Arabian Peninsula, and they, you know, they from Israel they had pretty much straight south, a bit south east, and then once they get under the Arabian Peninsula, then they start curving back uh, west and northwest. So that adds in a lot of flight time, and, and Air India got permission somehow, I'm not sure how, they got permission from Saudi Arabia to, to start using their airspace. Thing is, though, that Elal, now it's a compete, because Elal still has to go around Saudi Arabia. So some people are saying that um, the conspiracy is whether this is good for Israel. In other words, is it a step towards more such ideas of Saudi Arabia being more welcoming to Israel, or is it, or some are trying to say that it's just helping Air India have one over El Al, that their, their, their flight from, from Delhi to Tel Aviv only takes five hours, and El Al's flight from Mumbai to Tel Aviv takes eight, nine hours. So the question is, you know, is this happening is, is Saudi Arabia trying to be friendly with Israel in this case or are they trying to just help out the competition the competition to the Israeli flag carrier Elal are they trying to help them out to undercut Elal and I just I've seen you know people saying both ideas mm-hmm. I, I think that it's definitely possible for someone to be good you know for you know diplomatic relations in the region to be bad for Elal and I think that's kind of what this is where even if Saudi Arabia is doing this specifically to undercut the profits of El Al, which seems unlikely to me, but is definitely a possibility. It's still good because then this just this now is an example of Saudi easing their diplomatic relations with Israel on some level, even if it's small, even though they technically are still at war with Israel and don't have formal diplomatic relations. So from my perspective, Anything in this world that, you know, eases diplomatic relations, gets conversations happening about these things, makes, you know, peace and security more possible. So even if there is a Saudi conspiracy to undercut El Al, I'm all for it. Uh, As you know, I'm not a big fan of El Al. I was not allowed to board one of their flights. So if they get undercut and diplomatic relations between the two countries get better, uh, it's um, plus one in my book. You're cool with that, yeah. It's hard. It's hard. I've never. I don't know if I've met a real fan of Elal. People fly them because they feel that for whatever reason, different reasons, but they think it's more safe or whatnot. But um, I, I don't think many people really appreciate them, and they're not a well-run airline. Let's put it that way. They're not. They're, their customer service is very lacking, and their attitude towards their customers is beyond uh, poor. You know, a, a joke that I once heard about Lala that I really like, which is, if you're not anti-Semitic but you want it to be, you know, just go round trip from uh, Newark to Tel Aviv on Lala. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a, another joke. Another joke. I can't remember now. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll read it up for next podcast. But yeah, a couple a couple. Uh, jokes about it, like Elal, like that. Yeah, well, and if anyone listening has any jokes about Elal, keep them coming. This is a 
a podcast that is not a fan of the airline, so we're happy to bash them in a humorous way as much as we possibly can. It's uh, once you're talking about Tel Aviv, I was reading this week that United, who who has been doing very well recently with the uh, U.S. to Tel Aviv routes, just got a new manager or a new a new CEO, whatever, whatnot for for in Israel. United's main man in Israel. They just hired. They just announced someone new. Um, last week was it? And um, just to give a bit of history, a bit of background. United has United and Alal carry the most passengers from the U.S. to to Israel. They Alal has direct routes from Toronto, Boston, Kennedy, Newark, Miami, and L.A. Um, yeah, some of them. Right, and they announced SFO. And but well, some of the, you oh you're talking about LL? I'm talking about LL, right. Oh oh and, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. They haven't and, started them yet, yeah. Right. So they the, some of those routes are like only three times a week, like Miami, LA, Toronto, Boston are not daily. So LL probably car- carries the most passengers from the US to, to Israel. However, United is right up behind them and United is doing very well. They they started off years ago. They only had one um, one Newark to Tel to Tel Aviv, and then they put in a second one. And then they on one of their Newark Tel Aviv flights, they they put in the the updated triple seven flight that has you know the new Polaris business seats and and more crowded stuff in economy seats, like basically more capacity. And they recently, and I say recently, the past a year or two. Started a tele, uh, San Francisco route, which is doing very well, and they they updated it from three times a week to daily. And they in the summer months they have a, a larger plane, so it's United, and they're 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 selling out flights. They're doing very well, so they are. So the, this new guy, this new manager or CEO in, in Israel for United, I guess in a press release, says that. We should watch out for a, a new announcement of a new route. He's, he planning to announce announce a new route from the U.S. to Tel Aviv this year. So I'm wondering. Yeah, where do you think where do you think that will be? I, that's a good question. Let's. It's well. To start off, it's going to be from United Hub, so it's not it's not going to be a third it's not going to be a third uh, daily flight from Newark. Mm-hmm. It's probably not going to be a second. Uh, he says it's gonna be a new route, so it's gotta be from United Hub. And where where's where's the remaining United Hubs? Let's let's narrow it down. Could be there's could be a, Denver. Could be Denver, right? Could be. Could be Denver. Could be LA, technically, because United has a hub there as well. Oh, United uh, doesn't it's only LL from LA? LA United does not have LL has oh, two Well then yeah, yeah, then it's probably LA because you know, just think about uh, demand. Because Could be, but they already yeah right. But they already have a they already have a West Coast route. They basically they already have a, a daily from San Francisco. So you're going to add a mm-hmm. flight from from the West Coast. I was thinking if people are Dan from Dan's deals had a post on it, and he he basically he's he has all bets on Chicago. He says uh, makes the mm-hmm. most sense Chicago, which. 
probably makes the most sense to me that there's a small chance it could be LA. I'd probably not Denver and there's a tiny chance maybe Houston. Yeah, probably, probably not Denver or Houston. Uh, I just think about, so you have a, a ton of, a ton of Israelis in LA, a ton of Jews in LA. And then, you know, also people looking to, you know, go on a, a leisure religious, you know, vacation to Israel from from that you know more densely populated area, I know you have. I don't know how sizable it is, but I just tend to meet a lot of Israelis in Las Vegas. So, but I guess they can be also served by SF. So I'm I'm, I'm personally pretty biased here, just because I know for my business and for my life and the the lives of people I know, having adding the flight to LA would be more beneficial. Uh, but Chicago might make make more sense if right now if you live in Chicago or kind of in you know, the middle part of America, you have to, you know, fly to the Western East Coast first. Right. I mean, Chicago is a very big hub for United as well, and they have tons of flights feeding into it. So L.A., you have you have the nonstop traffic, but how many flights really from United feed into L.A.? And those same flights that are feeding into L.A., mm-hmm. also they would, they would also feed into San Francisco. For example, I had a, a big family from Denver that went to – Israel in March, and they went through San Francisco on United. For the same token, they could have went through LA. It would have been the same flying time, but the LA route wouldn't increase, wouldn't give them any new business from those Denver passengers. For, for the same token, they could just feed them through LA, feed them through San Francisco, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I, I'd probably, if I had to make a bet, I'd bet I'd bet on Chicago, right? For a long time. If you know if, if if you know anyone that wants to take the other side of that, uh, connect us. Elal used to have Chicago direct to Tel Aviv. Uh, they stopped it. Um, I don't know when they used to have it. Yeah. Cool. Well, so that's kind of a, a rundown of you know what's been going on lately. Is there anything else uh, you want to discuss in the the miles and points news before we uh, call it for today? I saw there's a Chase announced a new – I saw two new interesting things. First of all, I saw yesterday someone posted in one of the chats I'm on that Barclay Card is announcing a credit card. Oh, yeah. It's like a kind of like a, their version of the Chase Sapphire Preferred probably. The idea is that, that till now um, there are – Four banks that transfer into airline point their their points transfer into airline miles. Amex, of course, Chase, City, and no, I think that's it. And Barclays announced that they're going to create a points that are going to transfer into airline miles. And they said the 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 announcement was they're not telling us which airline they're going to go to, but they said at least six different miles programs, which is fantastic. So. That's that's a big thing. That's a huge thing. Yeah. No. I mean, that would be that'd be a game changer. But it just depends on how how valuable it is. Because you know, right now you have City, where it's technically, you know, one of these four, but is so much less useful than SVG Chase and Amex. Right. Of course. So, right. City, limited, but you never know. It will spi- It will definitely spice things up a little bit and make things interesting. No question about it. Yeah, I know Barclays, broadly speaking, is just trying to expand their presence in the U.S. across a lot of different products and sectors. So 
doesn't surprise me. Then as well, uh, along with that, I saw recently Chase announced or came out with a new product, the Iberia credit card, the Iberia Rewards, and they're offering oh, yeah. 70 mile bonus for that. So that's two nice new credit cards. Besides for that, there's a Hilton Aspire card. We can, make, make it, we can talk about this in one of the next shows. But there's a few new credit, interesting credit cards that are available or are going to be available soon. Yeah, I remember reading about the Hilton one a few months back, I think on one mile at a time. That could be crazy, especially if it... Did it say, is it coming with Hilton Gold or Hilton Diamond? It's... I just remember reading that the initial so the, plan was to be super lucrative. No, I think I think it's coming with um, with diamond. It's a very it's like a top tier card. It's, it has yeah, a, it wow. like a large annual fee, the four hundred fifty dollars. Actually, just <laughs> as we're talking, I just got an email from the American Express changed their Hilton situation. Like the, the, a few of their Hilton cards, they changed, and I just got an email. This there's a new. There's a new Hilton card for American Express. The new Hilton on is American Express. And they're offering like lousy sign-up bonus of 60,000 points. Mm-hmm. But it seems like, and I know you have to run in a minute, but it seems like the American Express got exclusive rights with Hilton to issue their cards. And the, up till now, City was also issuing uh, Hilton cards. I think American Express got the exclusive contract. So they announced some different style cards like they changed up their they changed the names on some of them and they came with new with new ones that's also a new thing that's going on yeah cool so even even though it's not the the golden age there's there's always new new things coming out ways for people in the know to take advantage and take some nice free trips Uh uh-huh i just signed up for four cards yesterday got approved for all of them Oh, you four for four. Nice. Yeah, I did a small apparama. Yeah, it's, it's all it's all relative. What's your, what's your biggest? I've done, I've signed up for over ten cards, maybe ten or thirteen, and I, I've gotten approved for probably you know, 80 percent of that. Probably probably eight nine cards that I got approved for was the biggest. Wow, I've I've never done more than six. I don't think I've even applied for seven, but I've been six for six once. Okay. Yeah. And and for for you, do you but when you've done these big apparamas, do you just meet the minimum spend naturally through your personal and business spend? Don't have to MS well, anything? Well No, that that's no, that's not always been the case. Um recently I've I've not been doing like additional spend for others, manufactured spending or spending for others, but for many years, I've been I was doing what we call either manufactured spend or spending for others, or just like giving people like a one or two percent discount on things they don't have credit cards and doing it for not them. Really well, spending for company we can we can talk about as a different show. Okay. Um, yeah, let's let's do it next time. Spending for others network out there. Yeah, it's not so you have to be careful, but there's the idea of just you know there's, there's, this is a whole nother topic <laughs> we'll we'll yeah. save the suspense for uh for next week but yeah thank thank you for your time today jason and uh i'll eagerly await that conversation absolutely back have a good one nice talking to you